have a draw towards some sort of form of works righteousness. There is a default leaning in the brokenness of humanity that says, God will accept me if I do these things, and God will be angry with me if I do these other things. And you have to remember that the nature of the message of Jesus is not, I do and God loves me, it's Jesus did for me. You can try to make God happy with the things you do, but that's not what he's looking for. He cares about your heart and the fruit it bears, but he is the one relationship where we don't have to rely on conditional love. As Pastor Daniel relates today, we set high standards for others that we can rarely live up to. And if that's a bummer, then it should be a relief that Jesus did away with that kind of measure. In Jesus, that burden is lifted. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with his continuing study entitled, Jesus is Greater Than Other Teachers. So don't ever think, oh man, that's old school. What does it have to do with today? It has everything to do with today. Everything. It has everything to do with today. But he's saying, listen, the law came in. It cannot change God's promise, which is unchangeable. Reminds me of Romans 11, 29. For the gifts and callings of God are what? Irrevocable. That when God gifts and promises and calls, nothing can change. You cannot revoke that. I pull that friend card. No. God's promises are firm and they stand. And look at what he says, verse 18. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So this is the issue. And Paul's been driving. He's like, look, if the inheritance, all that God is for us in Christ, the great wealth that comes when somebody believes in Jesus, if it is of the law, then it's not a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. He's focusing. It can't be both. It can't be by faith, by promise, by grace, or by rule-keeping. Now, before I move on, I want to apply this to us today, and we need to, because I'm pretty sure that for most of us, we don't feel this pull towards keeping the Jewish law, right? So it's not like I walk in here and I see some of you, you guys are growing out the sides of your hair to have the little... Or, or, you know, you're coming in with a, with a little yarmulke, a little kippah on, or, or you're saying, look, no more bacon for me unless the doctor told you to. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm swearing off of shrimp and lobster tails. And yeah, see, no. So we, we don't really have that draw back to the Mosaic law. But as we keep saying through this series, all of us have a draw towards some sort of form of works righteousness. There is a default leaning in the brokenness of humanity that says, God will accept me if I do these things, and God will be angry with me if I do these other things. And you have to remember that the nature of the message of Jesus is not, I do, and God loves me. It's, Jesus did for me. 
And that's a huge distinction because if you're here and you're trying to experience the inheritance of God by works, then every time you fail, you feel shame and despair. You feel that God doesn't love you anymore. It happens pretty natural. Now listen, we say it here, that God can't love you anymore and God won't love you any less. Yeah, you have a bad day. But God doesn't like, well, you had a bad day, so I really don't like you anymore. But you know what's amazing? That's the only relationship you're ever going to have that's like that. Every other relationship is based on reciprocity, that I'll love you if you love me, and I'll give you a raise if you do good, and I'll be happy with you if you do the things that I want. If you don't do the things I want, I'm going to tell you how mad I am at you and all that stuff. Every single relationship on this side of eternity is that, except for your relationship with God, which is totally unilaterally God saying, I love you. You can't make me love you less. All of my frustration and anger with your mistakes, I took that on Jesus at the cross, and all you get is my love and grace. It's a huge difference. But the reason why it's so hard to live out, because it is truly the only one. Because listen, you know what it's like in your, in your marriages. You screw up, you got to do some groveling. Amen? Amen. It was Lynn's birthday recently, you know, and I bought Lynn a nice present. And the first thing she says, so what'd you do wrong? I was like, <laughs> I was like, I got you a nice present. She's like, yeah, but are you in trouble? <laughs> now, I wasn't really in charge. I didn't do I just bought her a nice present. But there's that part of her is like, so so what a nice gift. Because obviously, if I'm gonna give her a nice gift, I must have done something wrong. So I'm trying I need to I need to build up some relational capital so I can drop the bomb on her that I, I lost all of our savings buying Twinkies or something. You know what I mean? Like, but it was it wasn't that. I just wanted to bless her. But and I'm laughing about it, and we, and we had a great fun with it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in a lot of trouble, you know. I was like, that's probably a nice gift. It's your birthday. It's such a reminder that everything in life is, if, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, right? And because every single relationship, in your marriages, in your families, on your jobs, with your friends, all of them are based on, if you do for me, I'll do back for you. And if you don't do for me, I'm done with you. But our relationship with God is not wired that way. And really what God wants is that one relationship that isn't built on that, because of that relationship, now us as followers of Jesus, we don't base any of our relationships on reciprocity either. Why? Because Jesus has taught us a brand new way to live. Where now all of a sudden it's not like, well, if you don't do what I want, I'm out of here and I'm going to send you this email and say that you're mean. No. You just say, look, I'm just a servant of the Lord. The Lord loves me even though I'm not lovable. And I'm going to love other people who aren't being lovable that's what Jesus did for me. And see, this is why Jesus is greater than everything, because this totally changes the way we approach every relationship. We're not in any relationship for reciprocity because God has unilaterally loved us. Now we unilaterally love people. And it doesn't even matter what they do, because we're not in it for the give and take, because God has overwhelmed us with grace. You see why it's so important. But if you're trying to get all this stuff done by your works, like, oh, yeah, I go to church. I went to church on Super Bowl Sunday. God's definitely going to bless me. And he's, my team's definitely, no, no, God, love, it's either by promise and by faith or it's by the things that you do, but you can't have it both ways. Not with God. The Galatian churches try and Paul is like, ixnay on that kind of relationship. It's not going to work. 
No way. So you notice when you start talking this way, someone is bound to ask the next question. Look at what it says, verse 19. What's the purpose then? What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Verse 21, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. You see what Paul's saying here now? See, Paul's saying, listen, it's by promise or it's by works. And so some of them say, so then why the law? Why? If God made a promise to Abraham and then he gave the law, what's the reason? Is the law evil? Why is this happening? Why is the law there? And you get the answer at the very end of the section that I read here in verse 24 and 25. We learn that the law is our tutor. The law is a tutor for us. Now, My translation has the word tutor. Others of your translations have things like a child custodian or a child attendant. Let me explain to you. It's the Greek word pedagogos, which we get our word uh, pedagogy or learning. In Greco-Roman culture, when this was always happening, for a family that would be considered middle class, there was this person, this tutor, this child attendant who was hired to nurture your child behaviorally between the ages of about six and the age of about 16. That there was literally a person, it would be the equivalent of like a mixture of a nanny, a babysitter, a teacher, and a a cop for your kids. That really, it was this all-encompassing position that because it wasn't, it wasn't public schools, you just ship your kid to public schools, you know, they hope they teach you reading, writing, and arithmetic, and some sort of uh, morality. It happened in your home, and so there was this person, this what's translated tutor, who would come in for a very specific season to nurture your child. But in that culture, around the age of 16, it was a little earlier for girls, because there was arranged marriages. People, boys would get married around 15, 16, girls would get married around 13, 14, At that point, they would enter into maturity. Like a a 16-year-old in that culture was considered an adult, right? They would enter into maturity. So the tutor had a specific function for a specific period of time. But then in the normal course of events, the child would stop being a child and be ushered into adulthood and the tutor's not around anymore. Imagine if on your wedding day, your child custodian's still hanging out there. Be pretty awkward, right? Amen. It'd be totally weird. So it's specific for a period. He's saying, what's the purpose of the law? The law was a temporary custodian or teacher until faith in Jesus comes. That's what it says. Now, let me explain it to you. Go on back now to where we began here in verse, verse 19. Look at what it says. What purpose then does the law serve? 
It was added because of transgression till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was pointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Notice, what's the purpose of the law? The law was added because of transgressions. The law was given to make sin known. That's why it was there. Romans 3.20 and 4.15 get into that. Listen to Romans 3.20. It says, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That's Romans 3.20. Romans 4.15. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. So part of the law's job was to say, this is right and this is wrong. This is okay and this is not okay. How many of you would stay going 65 on the highway if there wasn't a sign there? Nobody. Oh, one of you, praise God. Someone's safe. One person in the whole church. The sign hems you in to be safe. The law, same thing. The law says, look, this is okay. This is not okay. So the law was added because of transgression. But notice what it says here. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. So the law had a temporary function to call, so to speak, a spade, a spade. Now, look at what it says. Because next it says, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Does anybody understand what that means? Good, me neither. So it was very common in the time of the writing of the New Testament that they believed that God used angels as mediator for the Mosaic Covenant. Stephen talks about it in Acts chapter 7. So he's saying, look, the law was there for a season until Jesus comes, and the law was mediated at the hands of angels. And then I don't have a clue what verse 20 really means, okay? And I know a lot of you are like hoping because you read it. You're like, what is verse 20? What we will tell us? I don't know what it means. I know that, but we know that God is one. That's part of that great prayer, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It speaks of the unity of God, the oneness of God. But the way the mediator, one only... I've read a million commentaries. I got 20 different ways to interpret it. None of them makes any sense to me. And so I place verse 20 in the, when I get to heaven, if it even matters, I'll ask God what it means. But I think pretty sure that it doesn't matter what it means. I mean, it's in there for a reason, but I don't understand the thrust of what Paul's saying. I assume that the churches in Galatia understood what Paul was getting at. I don't really. I think some say that he's saying that, actually, I don't want to get into the sums. I could do this all day. I read, I got a lot of notes on this. So I don't really know what verse 20 means and what Paul's exactly getting at. But what I do know is that the point is, is that the law is different from the promise. And the law had a function until Jesus arrives. Now, in verse 21, we are reminded, is the law then against the promises of God? Because someone would say, okay, so if the law is meant to show us what sin is, right, If it was meant to do that, then it's got to be bad. Is the law against the promises of God? And Paul says what? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So you hear what he's saying here? He's saying, listen, is the law against God's promise? No, 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 no. If somebody could have received eternal and abundant life by law-keeping, then 
God's law is solid. See, what he's saying is that, look, God's law is perfect, but nobody can keep it. If it could have given life, then righteousness would have been by the law. But notice what he says. But the scriptures, verse 22, has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. He's saying, look, if you could have kept the whole law, then it's righteous. But guess what? The scriptures show all of us that we fail and points us right to Jesus. This is why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. He says, listen to this. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot and one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. You hear what he said? He said, look, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus is saying, look, everybody fails at the law but me. I am the fulfillment of the law. And that's why all through the Bible we find that Jesus is without sin. Jesus is the one person who keeps not only the letter of the law, but its true intentionality. So Jesus isn't saying, look, the law is bad, and I came to kill the law. He's saying, no, I came to fulfill the law. I am its fulfillment. And he says, listen, heaven and earth won't pass away. Everything that's created will not end, and not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away. Now, those words are interesting. That word jot, it's, it's a transliteration of the Hebrew letter yod, which is the smallest Hebrew letter. It's in the Hebrew alphabet, it would be the equivalent of a Y, but it's actually written like what we would have an apostrophe, just a little boom. So one jot is, it's the smallest letter, and a tittle is literally the difference between a capital letter P and a capital letter R in our language. What's the difference between a capital P and a capital R? Just one stroke, right? He's saying, not even the smallest letter or even a stroke of a letter will pass away from God's law. I am its complete and total fulfillment. And when Paul says here, he says here, look, if you could get saved by keeping works of law, then righteousness would be by the law, but it's not. It's, it was meant to keep us, keep us until Jesus comes and all the promises are fulfilled in the person who could keep the law. That's why Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. He was inspected to see without sin. That's why Jesus died, because he kept God's perfect law in a way that all of us fell at, and he took the punishment as if he failed like we do, and we received the blessing as if we kept the law like he does. That's the gospel message, and that's why it's so important. That's why we believe in Jesus. And if you're here today trying to make God happy with you by the things that you do, trying to keep a standard, and listen, you want to hear the most aggressive thing I think Jesus ever said? Here's the most aggressive thing. This is what Jesus said. Judge not lest you be judged. For whatever measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Jesus put on the, he, he took off the boxing gloves and he went bare knuckled at us. That's a sucker punch to all of us. You don't think it is, but think about it. Other people, they have to get it right, right? Get it right. But you make a mistake. Oh man, I, I didn't mean it that way. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We always hold everybody to very strict standards. Jesus is like, listen, no, no. Whatever measure you use, I'm measuring it back to you. Oh. It's so brutal. Jesus is like, pop. Like, Because do you really live up to the standard you place on other people? Think about the standard you give to your kids, your spouse, your friends, your enemies. You don't live up to those standards either. You have to be nice all the time. Nobody does it. 
Nobody does. You have to be kind. Yeah, right. You have to be loving while you're being unloving. See, none of us live up to the own, we know the standard. None of us live up to it. And that would leave us in despair unless we come to Jesus. Because you come to Jesus and you realize, look, I can't live up to my own standard. No matter how simple I make the standard that I pull for other people, everybody fails. People frustrate me. They get things wrong because they do. And I judge them. When Jesus said, don't judge. But then you come to Jesus, you're like, oh, yeah. Nobody can live up to the standard. Even my own made-up standard I can't live up to. But all of it's there to drive us into the arms of Jesus. That's why it's there. And if you're here today and you're sick and tired of being sick and tired of not living up to your own standards, let alone God's standards, just come to Jesus. That's why your standard is there. Your standard is to show you your absolute, complete, and total need for Jesus. And even if you put the standard so low, and I know you don't hold other people to a so low standard. Nobody does. You still fail to live up to it, but that's why we come to Jesus. That's why it says, therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be fulfilled by faith. Wow. The law's job is to temporarily teach us until we come to faith in Jesus. Because that's the goal right there. Now, look at what happens. Verse 26. And I love Paul. Paul's so good. I mean, the Spirit of God moving on the pen of Paul was powerful because he ties this thing up so beautifully. He puts a little bow on it. He puts little sprinkles on it and a Reese's peanut butter cup on top. It's so powerful how he does this. I realized I just mixed the metaphor. I was doing a present, and then I ended up with a cupcake. Sorry. But I got excited. Look at this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. My friends, Jesus makes us one. Jesus makes us one. I pull that right out of verse 20. We are all one in Christ. Now, I want you to notice this. First, notice the new standing. Verse 26, for you are all sons of God. Now, remember I told you, back in the day, they weren't concerned about gender-neutral language like we are today. Sons of God means children of God, sons and daughters of God. Because of faith, we are sons and daughters of God. And what's the methodology? Through faith in Christ. They're both impressive. An impressive method. By believing in Jesus, we get an impressive standing. Family of God. So much so that by the time you get to verse 29, we're so much family that we are heirs according to the promise. Not only are you adopted in, you get all the benefits of the inheritance that we have in God because of Jesus. Wow. Jesus is real. Thanks for joining us today for this edition of Jesus is Real Radio. We're so blessed by what God is doing through Jesus is Real Radio. We want to give you the opportunity to partner with us. For anyone who wants to help 
further the gospel here on Jesus is Real Radio. With a gift of $20 or more, we will send you a personalized copy of Pastor Daniel's book, Honestly. I'll be back in a moment to tell you how you can receive your personalized copy. But first, here's Pastor Daniel with more about this special book offer. Thanks, Josh. Honestly is a book I wrote to help people deal with the messiness of life. I mean, we all know it. Life throws us curveballs all the time. We never know what's coming next. But honestly comes from what I've discovered out of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, how you can manage your life through the lens of your relationship with Jesus. It's some powerful stuff, and I've been blessed as many people have told me how the book has helped them on their spiritual journey. I'm confident that honestly will be a blessing to you as you walk with Jesus, and I'll be personalizing each and every copy for the Jesus is Real radio listeners who partner with us this month. Here's Josh with some more information. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive your very own personalized copy of Honestly, simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on Partner. Then you can securely make your donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping. Remember, by partnering with us this month with your gift, You'll not only receive this great resource, you'll also be enabling Jesus is Real Radio to be heard on this station and many more. That's all the time we have for today. Join us next time for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio. 